Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. You can find us under the Burnt Origination podcast feed. You can find this wherever you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. All of the major players are in the building. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who wants me to change it to a little bit of Stark built in, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, uh, I, I was actually determined I was going to keep it uh, thronesless this week. I don't know why I wanted to set that goal. I feel like I went a little heavy last week with the premiere. But, I mean, if you just want to spend the good first 10 you know minutes of this podcast diving into the finer points of why there's always a start in and, and also under Winterfell, um, we, can, we can absolutely do that, Gerald. Uh, we don't have time. <laughs> Today, we've got to talk about how bad the Texas baseball team was this last weekend. Uh, so that's the thing we're going to start with. We'll talk a little football. So for the next few weeks, we're going to do kind of a position group by position group preview uh, as Texas kind of rounds out the school year heading into fall camp. Uh, and we'll obviously down the 40, giving you the latest in all of the sports that don't get as much shine as they probably should. And finally, we'll close the show out with some bang the drum. So Kyle. What is going on with the baseball team? They won the more important game of the week. They won that midweek game. Uh, and then they uh, went to Stillwater again on the road where they've struggled all season and decided to not show up for two of the three games is what it really felt like. So Texas gave up 36 runs and, and they haven't increased these to 10 game series. That's in a three game weekend series in Stillwater. That's um, both hard to do and not uh, particularly good form. Uh, and it came kind of in all, all spades. It, it, you know, it, it was it was bad defense that led to runs. It was throwing meatballs that got knocked out of the uh, out of the stadium. It was um, on kind of all, all the arms. It was starting pitching, which, you know, we, we really focused in on the, the relief pitching so far. Uh, this year on being a problem area, but it, it, the starters didn't really um, bring a whole lot to the table. I mean, it was just a, it was a comprehensive beatdown. And in fact, the Friday game, a 15 to zero loss, was about as bad as I've seen Texas baseball in. You know, it, it will just say make it easy and clean in the Pierce era. Um, I mean, they they should have been no hit in that game and, and gave up 15 runs and just didn't look like they cared. They didn't have fight in them. I mean, it it was. Um, it really took until Sunday to see the team look like they 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 gave two hoots to uh, to want to fight back in, which is so crazy to think where they um, you know were a month ago versus where they are now. And it, you know this was a this was a pretty uh, glaring indictment. You know, there's not a ton of baseball left this year, so uh, if they're going to turn it around, it needs to start you know ASAP. Well, and last year we talked about how the bottom kind of fell out during Big Twelve play a little bit. But it wasn't nowhere near as bad as this, where they were, you know, in a lot of games and lost a lot of close games. They were pretty high up on that luck um, or the bad luck meters, if you're looking at uh, that. So it, it's hard for me to figure this out because I just this is a team that, again, like you said, a month ago, we were talking about potentially competing for a Big 12 championship. They came out of the toughest stretch of their season and they weren't unscathed, but they they won a lot of those games in that tough stretch there. March was a, was a tough run for them, and they came out pretty well on top of a lot of those games. They 
ran with a lot of good teams. They had a significantly better record against one of the you know toughest stretches of baseball I've seen. They are so far four and seven in the month of April, um, and, and it's 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 down all over. You know, I don't know if it's just fatigue from a rough month, if it's the injuries um, in the beginning of the season catching up to them. I mean, against Lamar, it, it is a, a midweek game against Lamar, but they started their fourth string catcher, which I get it. That's that's never a thing you want to do. It was a guy who they cut from the team, but emergency brought back onto the team, and he started um, that game. I mean, but they they're hitting two forty three with a six ERA in in the month of April. I mean, this was supposed to be the the reward for kind of front loading a, a grueling uh, march, you know. But I mean, if you if you look at it right now, they're they're just. Uh, they're you know closer to the bottom of the conference than than they are anywhere near the top. I mean they basically at this point are half a game uh, ahead of Kansas with a five and nine versus a five and ten Big Twelve record um, from being the worst team in the Big Twelve. You know at least the way they've played in conference play. It's it it is not at all what I would have predicted. And if you've listened to these podcasts, you know, you, that's exactly what I haven't predicted. Um, you know, I, I really thought post-March they were going to have a run and this was going to be kind of be a similar team uh, or a similar trajectory to last year where they got going kind of as the schedule got easier, built that momentum and, and, and you know, won some games, strung some together. But they, they just can't seem to win more than a game or two at, at a time, even sometimes dropping midweek games to, to break momentum when they do get a weekend win. So, I mean, th- this team is, is, is tough to figure out. I know it's young. It's young uh, in, in pretty much all areas. Um, but it, it, it just the bats, you know, don't seem like they they have a fire enough. They've fought back in a lot of games, but it's it's almost like you know they they can't do that every night to have that uh, that discipline and that that really that drive. And that's that's a little disheartening. And I and I'm very curious to see um, what type of you know what type of voodoo Coach Pierce can uh, can whip up. And so I think that's the next question is then there are just a few weeks left in, in regular season play before they head to the big 12 tournament and Texas again, last year caught a little bit of fire in the tournament and carry that into the postseason. season. Uh, so what, what can, or what should coach Pierce do with this squad to try to replicate last year's success? Now you don't have a guy like Cody Clemens, right. who's going to be the emotional leader, be the guy who decides to have a big jump sophomore to junior year and, and become the power hitter that, uh, we all didn't think he could be. Yeah, it's always tough to replace the best player in the country, which they were aiming to do. But not just that, but it's a guy who you can count on. Who, hey, the bats aren't working today. Don't worry, I got this. I'll go hit a solo homer, you know, in the eighth and, and get us out of this jam. It's it's um, it's curious. P- Pierce said after last weekend that you know there's going to be some big changes, and he didn't really see it. Uh, in the first two games, really in the ninth inning was the first time they showed a little fight of the Saturday game. They were down 10 to nothing. So at this point, down 25 to nothing um, in two games to Oklahoma State. And they, they got two runs and almost got a little more, kind of showed a little scratch, like they weren't just going to roll over and die. And then in the Sunday game, you know, they lost 11 to 10. That's tough. They threw 10 pitchers out there. So maybe this is Pierce's thing. He just, I'm going to keep throwing until somebody sticks. You know, I don't know. Maybe I don't know if that's necessarily a winning formula, but at this point, I think he's just willing to willing to try. I, I, I do think, like I said, that that you know, the the hitting drought that this is a better batting team than what you're what you're seeing. Like it has to dry up for at least someone. I don't know if you're going to get Cody Clemens, but at least someone. Um, and and, I, and again, I, I think this is maybe an overcorrect or over regression past the mean. I think the starting pitchers um, will 
probably find a something maybe that isn't quite as white hot as is is Henley and Elder were in the beginning of the season, but but something better than you know a, a six point something ERA. Uh, I, I think the defense though, I, I think the defense is an area where you can say. All right, let's let's train this literally until the sun goes down and the lights no longer turn on, because that's something that seems like it should be fixable. And to have five errors in that game, that you know they could have salvaged a really really bad series by pulling out that win on Sunday, but they have five errors that day. Um, you know that it's it's tough. So I'm I'm hoping you see from here on out much 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 better fielding. Um, you see some guys continue to have some plate discipline and draw walks, but being able to string that together with a couple hits behind it and actually get, um, you know, some RBIs with, with runners in scoring positions. So, I mean, it, it isn't an easy task. This week they welcome in West Virginia, who West Virginia was one of the worst teams in the Big 12 to start the season and is now red hot. They they have, you know, 11 and, and 4 in their last 15, including series wins over Tech, OU, and OSU. So luckily it's at home, but, I mean, it, hey, if you're going to do it, I mean, maybe the hottest team or one of the hottest teams in the Big 12 is a good time to say, hey, we uh, we still have something here in Austin and, and we're not ready to give up on this season. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the home and away. It's 18-7 and seven at home against 6-11 and 11 mm-hmm. on the road. Now, granted, 5-9 and nine in conference is absolute garbage, but um, it's going to be interesting to see what they can do against West Virginia to try to stem the tide because uh, there's not really much left on the plate. You've got West Virginia – You've got, again, a midweek against A&M Corpus Christi. You've got the last game against Texas and Incarnate Word. And then they close the season out in basically three weeks against Oklahoma. So there's not a lot left on the plate for them to, to try to get this thing right before before they head into conference. And really, I think you mentioned good plate discipline, but they leave guys on base like crazy. Yeah, like I think that's the thing for me. They're not – they they have not been able to capitalize with runners in scoring position or even just moving guys or playing the small ball that became kind of the staple of Augie Garrido toward, you know, the latter half of his, uh, and really his whole time in the University of Texas. So it, it is, it's hard for me to figure out, is this team going to be the defensive team? Clearly not after this weekend, but they're not the offensive team either. And so you've got like, there's no, kind of like in basketball, like what is this team going to be? Like, are they going to be the team that beat you with good p- pitching and sound defense? They're not doing that, and they're definitely at least two out of the three games this season or this series, not the team to to blow you away at the plate. I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that it, it's almost like sometimes they score and they get a little they get late late game batches where they they put up crooked numbers and they can score runs not at will, but they can score runs pretty easily. But it's like they need to be slapped in the face a couple times before they uh, they realize it. They sleep through a couple innings. I'm not sure, but I mean, just to put it in perspective, if they go out and sweep against West Virginia, they they will pass West Virginia. Um, and depending how everyone else does, could move as high as you know fourth place in the conference. So it's not that the sky is utterly burning. I mean, pretty much every team in the Big 12 this year has 20 wins, and that's a, that's a great benchmark. I mean, it's a deep conference. There's a lot of good teams, but Texas should be amongst those you know those those top four or five. So it, it is not um, out of reach, but it, it it is dire. It is now mission critical time. If you're gonna do anything, it, it's now truly or never. So, like you said, they take on West Virginia at home. Uh, before that, they got Texas State Tuesday evening, so the date you're recording this on the road in St. Marcus. So, if it's on the road, is I don't know if it's like an Austin Metroplex bubble, so maybe like 
anywhere within, you know, 50 miles or so of Austin, they'll be okay on the uh, on the road this week. And then they'll welcome West Virginia. You can catch all those on the Longhorn Network. If you're in Austin, I always encourage you to do this. You can get you can get a ticket to all three games with a 20 and walk away with change. That's all I'm saying. So go check it out. If you're in Austin, you got some free time. So let's let's talk a little football because it's not a Longhorn Republic episode without us talking some football. And so, like I mentioned off top, we're going to go through for the next few weeks and talk about some key questions that we have about each position group. And so last week, uh, following the spring game, we talked quite a bit about the running backs. Uh, so we'll, we'll shelve those for the week and we'll dial in on on the guy who starts it all. The center. No, I'm joking. Uh, the, the quarterback. So the there's not a question at quarterback for the first time in what feels like an eternity. Yeah. Uh, where Texas is going to start the same quarterback uh, for consecutive seasons for the first time since Tyrone Swoops, David Ash, maybe. David Ash, I think. Dave, I think David Ash. I don't think Swoops was a guaranteed in back-to-back seasons because I heard. I think I really admittedly think it was David Ash. So eight years. Yeah. Yeah. Which just feels incredible. So there's not a question about who will be the starting quarterback, but the question that becomes, what are fair expectations for Sam Ellinger? He had a breakout season, uh, started off a bit rough against Maryland, looked like he had not shaken what had troubled him his freshman year, and then came on and became one of the most prolific uh, players full stop in the nation, I think, if it hadn't been for a Heisman season by Kyler Murray, we're talking about Sam Ellinger probably being the biggest named quarterback in the Big 12, uh, regardless of the fact that Cornelius had more yards. Um, but that's that's neither here nor there, because really, what's the national story? It wasn't what was going on in Oklahoma State, other than the fact that why are they starting Taylor Cornelius over the other kid when he needs to get some repetitions in the game? So what are some fair expectations for Sam Ellinger as he straps it up for his third year in burnt orange, unquestioned leader of the team, both on the field and off the field? Uh, what are your expectations for him heading into his junior season? Well, I, I mean, I think uh, the only thing I'll add to that is, is Will Greer was also very good. But all of those guys you mentioned, Murray, Greer, Cornelius, um, they're, they're gone. Um, this is this is Sam Ellinger's year to be the Big 12 quarterback. So my, my kind of expectation right there starts that Sam should be the best quarterback in the Big 12. And I obviously am, am you know, aware that Jalen Hurts is transferring to OU and, and OU seems to be able to, you know, you get a multiplier combo multiplier when you transfer into OU or something and somehow become uh, better than you were without it. I'll give Lincoln Riley just a little bit of credit. I'll probably give some kind of cheating, you know, Oklahoma, the rest of it. But, uh, you know, I think Hurts could be good in that system, but I, I don't think by any means that he's a better quarterback than Sam Ellinger, full stop. Um, I think Sam Ellinger is the best quarterback in, in the Big 12. Now, last year, um, missed a couple games of injury, but still a breakout year where he totaled thir- over 3,800 yards and 41 touchdowns um, and really protected the ball. Um, so you think about him returning a lot of playmakers. Obviously, you, you take out Humphreys, but you think about him bringing back his favorite target in Colin Johnson, Keontae Ingram's back, Duvernay's back. You have more more depth, more talent, a line that, um, you know, lost some talent but should be good. I mean, to focus on the quarterback position, you have to focus on who he's getting the ball to. But I think Ellinger can, can easily come back and put up 3,800 yards and 40-plus touchdowns. What I'm hoping is that the ratio moves a little bit this year. What I'm hoping for Ellinger is that he – 
bumps up the completion percentage just a little bit. Um, it keeps the interceptions low. I mean, I don't know if he's going to be minus five this year, but just keep them very, very low. Gives your team the best chance to win. And, and, and don't have to um, have so many plays on the ground with his feet because uh, we have other other guys who can take that, you know, a little bit that burden off. And it really allows him to focus on that part of his game to be a passer. I mean, I could see a, a 3,500 yard passing season with, with, you know, 30 plus touchdowns, 30, 35 touchdowns. Um, Easily, he's got the receivers to do it. He's got the arm talent to do it. Um, he's got the confidence. Uh, I mean, Herman is now designing Sam Ellinger's offense. You're building an offense around him as the focal point, as the cornerstone, with a you know with a a, a loaded team around him. Um, I I see this being a very clear year where he he should not only be probably the the best quarterback in the Big Twelve, but I mean if he plays completely healthy and up to you know, what we've seen from him in his first two years and that junior improvement, there's no reason he shouldn't be the big 12 offensive player of the year. That's where, that's where my bar is set. Um, so it's high, it's lofty, but I don't think it's unreasonable. I wouldn't say it's unreasonable. That's just to expect Colt McCoy numbers. Yeah. Um, cause you, you said 30, that's, that's school record numbers for passing. Right. Uh, if, if the ratio now are you saying total yardage or are you saying passing yardage? well i think total touchdowns what mccoy has 45 was the was the record um and, and i yeah. think you know ellinger assuming he gets those passing numbers up assuming a couple of those duvernay ones that didn't hit hit this year assuming you know that could have been within reach um I, what i do think is that his rushing touchdown numbers will go down i do think that his passing touchdown numbers will go up if that number is greater than or equal to 45 um is tbd but i I do think that you know he should have 30 plus passing touchdowns this year okay that's that is a that's a lofty expectation okay okay okay. 28 um, plus greater than 28 is what i'm gonna say I'll, i'll 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 hedge i'm gonna make you keep backpedaling former defensive back uh no so i uh for me, I, I think I think the expectation for him to be kind of the standard bearer in the Big Twelve is very fair. I, I don't imagine um, you know, you've got you got old boy out of Iowa State who's who's gonna be good. Sure. I cannot remember his name off the top of my head. You've got uh Alan Bowman, the uh the law firm in uh, in Lubbock that could also be very good, but they don't know what they got a new head coach, so you never know what's gonna happen there. Um but I think for Sam I think a fair expectation for Sam Ellinger is because he's already on the top, you know, top 10 passing seasons in school history already through, through one year where he missed a couple of games due to injury. So, I mean, I think you're, you're right in the ballpark. I think somewhere in the range of 3,200 yards seems fair. Like a, a, if, if he can keep the production of last season, then I think this team matches, if not improves on what it did a year ago. I think the the thing for me, like you said, I think you said it really well. I need the ratio to shift. I don't need Sam Ellinger to be a three time team leading rusher, like that. That to me right. is a loss uh, for Texas, and because I think the more Sam Ellinger runs, the higher the likelihood of him being injured, just because of the type of player and runner he is. Because he's not the guy to shy away from impact. He's not the Kyler Murray ducking out of bounds as quickly as he can or sliding. I, it, I was shocked, jaw on the floor, the first time Sam Ellinger slid uh, in 2018. He didn't know how. I think he 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 almost hurt himself worse because he didn't know how. That was not a, a skill in the in the in the bag, unfortunately. <laughs> 
Well, he he had to have played baseball at Westlake. Like that was a thing that he should have <laughs> done. So like not knowing how to slide coming out. I had a friend Roger who used to practice sliding, like head first sliding in pregame, like just covered in red dirt before the game started. Like you gotta practice that. I imagine Sam Ellinger is the type of guy who only slides head first, no feet first slides. He's going all the way in head first, wants the ball thrown at his helmet. No, so I think. But I think like a, a repeat of last year's performance is fair. And we talk about a repeat of last year's performance. He was number seven in the country in points responsible for. That's yep. why I, I called him kind of the guy behind Kyler Murray. Cause you've got Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, Derek King, Tua and Taylor Cornelius. Like those are the guys ahead of him. Basically Gardner Minshew uh, out of Washington state. Can't, can't discount the mustache. So I think for me, if Ellinger can hit that third, that that magical 3,000, 3,200 number, that feels fair. But again, I want to see not – I don't want to see the, the yardage. It's not about the yardage. It's about the right. necessity. The necessity of him being such a focal point in the running game. I think that for me, um, if he tucks it and runs it on a you know on a third and medium and picks it up, great. But the, the quarterback power that is their most – their go-to running play because they know right. – that it's the only one that's guaranteed, that to me is a misuse of the talent you have, specifically at the quarterback spot. And so that leads to the next question. Ellinger, the way he runs, the style of runs, he's probably going to get banged up. No two ways to say that. He's probably going to get banged up. And so with the transfer of Shane Bouchelle, Texas doesn't have a proven backup. So what are your expectations for Casey Thompson? And can he step in when the need arises? Because I'm going to go and say it. When the need arises, yeah. can Casey Thompson step in and helm Texas for three quarters or even a full game? Well, here's the thing, right? I think I think last season was such an interesting season because every game was close. Every game was, you know, within points. Ellinger took so many snaps when he was healthy. Um, Casey Thompson is already redshirted. There's literally no reason that Texas shouldn't have a chance to get him into seven games this year. Let him play. Let him play as much as he can. Get a get a thirty you know point lead on some of these teams that you absolutely should, and let him play. Even in the Big Twelve, on some of the lesser thans, my goal is I want Casey Thompson to see fourth quarters. I want Casey Thompson to be good enough when we think that those signs are there that you know we we could even bring him in occasionally um in a package and, and some other things because he, he does he's a, a fantastic runner as we saw in the spring game i mean he's he brings a dynamic that bouchelle certainly didn't um it's it's a different style it's it's maybe more similar to some tim beck offenses in the past of what a what a quarterback uh can do sam ellinger does it with power and uh, panache and, and, and savvy when he runs. But, you know, um, I think Thompson uh, has a little bit more electricity, and, and that's that's great. So maybe he gets in there even not in garbage time. But, but you know, the, the goal is is um, that the team is playing well enough that he gets all kinds of chances so that he's blooded a little bit. And if there is a game, you know, where, where he has to start or, or play significant minutes that – it isn't. I mean, he's a redshirt freshman. We're not gonna we're not gonna skimp over that. Um, but that it isn't such a such a crucial loss. Uh, I mean, I think we saw. You you've always talked about what he did in high school being being in Oklahoma, and I'll, I'll leave that to you. But we saw a little bit in the spring game, and we saw you know a little bit in some of the the scrimmages, and just the, the words we've heard from the coaches about um, how quickly he's picking it up and how much he's maturing, and and how you know for the amount of experience he has, he looks ahead of the curve, which is great. Um, but you know, we don't want to throw him into, uh, sink or swim situations. I, I think the, you know, 
protecting Sam, letting him run when, um, you know, when, when it's advantageous as opposed to necessity, you know, will hopefully let him get, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being optimistic. Let's let him get every game, you know, where he doesn't miss, you know, a majority of any game. That's, it's a hope and, and an aspiration. And I really hope that's the case, but you know, let's, let's, let's make sure that Casey Thompson gets some chances because we're winning games. Um, and he gets chances to go out there and throw the ball. I mean, they're like, we talked about those receivers for Sam, they're all there. Um, and, and even well into the two deep for Casey. I mean, he has a chance to get, get some guys, you know, the ball and let them do the work. Uh, he has a chance to get out to the edge and, and, and just go off with some electric speed. Um, you know, like I said, we, we lost Michelle and rising. I hope that we don't have to get too deep on this depth chart. My, my, my hope is that we're only talking uh, about two and I won't go any further into the depth chart. Cause I do want to hear what you have to say about, about Casey. I think the thing that's an advantage for Texas is that he should see at least all of the fourth quarter in two of their first three games. Cause they have uh, Louisiana and rice bookending an LSU game for non-conference. So I think that uh, that's advantageous for Texas to, You'll Casey Thompson's going to get some air quotes live game snaps. You know how live is it when you're up three scores, right? Uh, but but still, he's going to get some actual game speed against some people in opposite color jerseys. But the thing for me, you know, it's such a reductive conversation a lot of times when we talk about Casey Thompson because everybody talks about his running ability. Dude passed for 9,800 yards in high school. Yeah. Like, he was a game away from 10,000 yards. Like, not even a game. Like, a quarter away based on his numbers <laughs> that he put up. He averaged, like, 300 and change a game. Uh, so, and he didn't play most fourth quarters in high school. So, like, he's not just the running guy. Like, and I think that, for me, is what I want to see. And I think that he fits an RPO package way better mm-hmm. than Sam Ellinger. And that's mm-hmm. not a shot at Sam Ellinger. He's just He's just more Kyler Murray than Tim Tebow where Sam Ellinger is more Tim Tebow than Kyler Murray. And that, that is just, those are two incredible quarterbacks, both Heisman winners. Uh, That that's why I use them as as a point of comparison. And I think Casey Thompson is, it's hard to match Kyler Murray's athleticism, but I think when you've got a guy like that with that style of play, it opens up some things in your playbook. Now, again, Sam Ellinger opens up some different things, quarterback power, a lot of quarterback draw, things like that. I, I really think, if you can get him to adjust to the game speed quickly, I think people are going to be surprised at how good Casey Thompson is, yeah. like, especially as a passer. I think the passing part of his game is what's going to surprise some people because the dude's got a, he's got an arm. He can throw it. I think accuracy needs to be built, but he's 19. Like that's, that's what happens when you're a redshirt yep. freshman quarterback. Yep. If you remember two years ago, Sam Ellinger, not the most accurate dude on the face of the planet. Yep. And now we're talking about expectations being 3,200 yards, which is just ridiculous. That would be again, a top 10 performance all time. Uh, so I think for me, I don't have many reservations about Casey Thompson. Now, if catastrophe happens, then we get a little concerned with Roshan Johnson, not yeah. as a level of talent, but of the fact that the guy skipped his prom. <laughs> like he'll be he'll be six months out from prom yep. when uh, when it's time to to suit up when and if the the worst happens. I love recruiter Roshan. I love the kid as a recruit. I want him to stay a kid. Like preserve that innocence. Not to make it all Game of Thrones here, but you know, like. It's like it's like seeing Arya grow up before our eyes. Preserve that innocence, Roshan. You'll get there. You have a couple seasons. I mean, 
like Casey Thompson, like let's let's let him, you know, get get a little bit. You you look at you look at you know the last quarterbacks who had to play as a freshman. Look at Colt McCoy, who's a certainly an outlier because he's so good. Um, but just that that jump between his sophomore year and his junior year, what Sam's coming into when he went to, again, not that this is ascertainable, but seventy seven percent passing. That's great. It's great that he was able to perfect his craft so much. I mean, I think Sam is going to see a bump. I think each of these guys, when you add a year on them, will be better. But Roshan, you know, he looks good in in some of the All-American games. He looked phenomenal in high school. I do not want to know how he looks as a freshman. I do not want to have to see that. Casey Thompson at least gets the benefit of having an R in front of freshmen before we have to see him. I am praying that we get the same for Roshan. If if it's not, then we've hit some dire set of circumstances. Um, I mean, again, you get four games and you can still redshirt. So, you know, if we really are just crushing someone, um, you know, and, and maybe towards the end of the year, uh, I'm thinking, you know, uh, Texas Tech in the last game when we're beating them by 70, uh, fingers crossed. Um Let's, let's let Roshan run, you know, one of his four games. That's great. But, again, let's do it. Let's do it to his benefit. I, I, I just don't want to see the kid out there. I don't want to make that a present, as it was for so long for Texas football. I want to get back to the world where, you know, it, it's it's a rarity that, that freshmen are, are playing meaningful minutes at the most important position in college football. Again, this is not a shot at Roshan because you and I are both huge fans huge. of this game. Absolutely. Incredible athlete. Huge get for Tom Herman and company this last year. But I think a lot of the proof of, you know, who was in New York going for the Heisman Trophy, like upperclassmen are the thing, at least having one year of eligibility. And, I mean, Tua is kind of a transcendent talent, and so is Trevor Lawrence in in, uh, in Clemson. So, like, those guys, you know, being coming in as a freshman, Tua, and winning a national championship, and same thing for Trevor Lawrence. Like, that is the exception and not the rule. Like that, that for sure, most of the teams that are competing for conference and national championships do not have a freshman start. And if, and if you do, your defense is so elite, your receiving core is so NFL ready. I mean, you look at both of those examples and it's, it's, it's freshmen who are throwing to, to literally in a few months, you know, from the time they threw passes to them, NFL guys, knowing that they have a defense that's, you know, giving up 17 points a game at most, you know, that, that it, it comes with that. So if we have a Texas that um, is going to do all of those things, then, then, then sure. I will feel uh, much better about letting, letting some freshmen get in there. But, you know, I, I want our defense to be at a top five level every year. And I want our, you know, our, our skill players to be where we're getting six and eight guys drafted every year and then i'll be more okay with it that that's coming if tom herman continues this recruiting path so let's move on and we're going to jump to uh the part of the show where we take you through the sports that don't necessarily get all of the shine that they should and we down the 40 so we'll start with Men's tennis, number two men's tennis, snapped their winning streak. Unfortunately, it happened in the Big 12 championship after claiming a regular season championship. The Baylor Bears beat them somehow in the tournament. I think they may have been saving themselves for the NCAAs. Maybe that's my excuse I'm going to come up with. So they take a week off before hosting an NCAA tournament regional May 3rd through the 5th at the Texas Tennis Center. Yeah, only their third loss of the season, all of them to top 10 teams. Um, you know, it's hard to feel bad about that, again, knowing all the things they'd gone through. But this was actually really close. Um, I mean, I think every one of these sets, it seemed like, came down to uh, to deuce or to, to you know, to, to match points. So, I mean, it's it's a tough loss, but, you know, good, good job to uh, – 
to Baylor getting getting the win more than I think Texas getting a loss. But I, hopefully that's one of those things that just makes you hungry, makes you motivated, and they they host the regional, so just crush some people at home uh, before moving on to nationals. Yeah, it's, it's it's it was a tough week for the golf, the tennis teams. Number seven women's tennis fell to number twenty Kansas in the Big 12 championship as well. I think it was the switch from outdoor to indoor that made a difference because the weather was nasty this weekend in the Midwest. Anybody that's in the Kansas, Oklahoma region knows what I'm talking about. I was actually praying for more hair so, hail so I could get a uh, a roof replacement out of the deal, but that's <laughs> fine. Uh, but they had their 12-match win streak snapped. So the NCAA Women's Tennis Championship uh, will be announced next Week Texas is expected, hasn't been announced yet, to be a host site for a first and second round again, May 3rd through the 5th. There's going to be a lot of a lot of high level tennis happening in Austin, Texas that weekend. Yeah, well, I mean, the Longhorns are providing uh, a lot of it. I think, obviously, uh, congrats to, to Kansas on that. But when the Big 12 rotates and it's in your home turf, it's always kind of your year and the stars lined up for Kansas to have the home match. Um, and so, you know, good for them. But uh, yeah, again, I think, I think the women's tennis team is, is better than they showed all year. I mean, they won the regular season Big 12. So hopefully, again, the loss here is just a little bit of a, uh, a motivator um, as they come home and, uh, and can propel a, an NCAA a deep tournament run. It should be good to watch. Number seven's men's golf was off this week. They take... A, uh, a week-long vacation uh, before heading to West Virginia for a three-day tournament at the Greenbrier Golf Resort there in uh, in sunny West Virginia. Uh, Cole Hammer, though, name was in the headlines. He was one of the 10 semifinalists for the Ben Hogan Award, which well-deserved. Guy's been playing really, really well all season. Uh, number two, women's golf celebrated a, count them, 37-stroke Big 12 tournament victory the tower was lit orange which is just absolutely incredible yeah 37 strokes demolished the previous record of 27 strokes um in the championship and they were the first team ever to have four of the top five finishers in a big 12 championship and just 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 a little taste those finished sophomore sophomore freshman junior so this team is if not the best, they're at number two right there fighting for the best team in the country and don't look to be going anywhere for a little while. So fun things for the women's golf team. Yeah, so they will continue its po- their postseason run uh, in the NCAA regionals, obviously. Uh, that's coming up May 6th through the 8th. We'll see the selection show this Wednesday on the Golf Channel, 430 Central Time, if you want to tune in. Number four, rowing. Beat the Ivy League schools at their own game. They topped number seven, Princeton, and number nine, Yale. What up, girls? Uh, So the Longhorn Invitation is this weekend, this Saturday on the 27th in Austin. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's impressive. Even if you uh, you had a fake scholarship to one of those schools for the rowing team, I mean, that's uh, that's just a great great meet. So good, good job. So, Kyle, it's the part of the week where you give us our melancholy softball update. It's rare I come to this section without uh, overflowing abundance of joy, but uh, Texas was unfortunately swept by. You have to give it up to them, the best team in the country. They played well all weekend, but the number one Sooners came into came into Austin in front of a record-setting crowd, 3,903 folks, uh, the largest in a three-game series in softball history, came to watch uh, Two of the best teams in the country, OU certainly solidified themselves. They moved from number one to no, or number two to number one after this. Um, but I mean, just 
played a fantastic game. I mean, it was it was a little uh, it was a little tough. The Friday game started with uh, extra innings. It was a contested call. <laughs> this is a contested call at the plate where the Longhorns were arguing the first run that scored, uh, and while they were contesting a call, OU just snuck another runner in to uh, to score. Texas ended up having the tying run on uh, and lost four to three, which is just, just a little heartbreaking, just a little chicanery from the Sooners. But uh, I guess that's what you do when you're uh, when you know. 98% of your games every year. So, um, you know, good on them. It was no fault of, of absolutely on fire sophomore catcher, Mary Iacopo, who was unbelievable. She was eight for 10 over the weekend with two doubles, um, continuing what has been over the past 10, uh, contests hitting 552, that's 16 for 90 with 10 RBIs, just, um, lighting it up, you know, but, but it was a game that, seven of the 18 runs that were scored in the whole weekend series were scored in the seventh inning um, and, and even more in that, that eighth inning in that one game, but, but still truly in that seventh inning, which is the, the, the big one. Um, you know, that's, that's a lot. There's a lot of exciting softball, um, but you know, it's tough for the Longhorns to get nothing for it. I think they hung with the best team in the country and looked just a, a shade beneath them uh, on this weekend, but you know, we'll see. Uh, they looked like they belong. And also, just, you know, the caveat of all caveats, the ERA leader in the country, Shaylin O'Leary, was out all weekend with an ankle injury. So um, if we see them in the postseason, uh, I, I think, you know, this this will be uh, live up to the rivalry billing, and this will be a good a good one at, at full strength if, if Texas can uh, can get everyone healthy and, and uh, give them a run for their money the next time we see them. Yeah, I think um, Texas should have a clear path uh, to – the finals in the uh, Big 12 tournament and probably a clear path through uh, first couple of rounds of the NCAA tournament. Those girls are real, real good. Now we move on to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college sports, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? We're recording this on Monday and there is a, uh, there's a fun Longhorn tradition going on. The, the Longhorn Honors, 2019 Longhorn Honors, which um, I believe honored the all of the 2018-2019, excuse me, season, um, because we have some folks who, you know, like for instance, Cody Clements was was honored. So um, you got a lot of a lot of recent Longhorn legends uh, in the building. It's pretty uh, pretty fantastic to see everyone. I think. Uh, as sports information director John Bianca said this was the first time it was a truly all sports um, celebration for the Longhorns and, and for good reason UT um, this year and, and there is still we talked about it just in our, our down the 40 there's still opportunity um, I think to to add to this tally with men's golf um, and, and you know I guess rowing and, and some others um, but UT has won seven big 12 conference championships uh, to this point in the 2018 19 academic year volleyball women's indoor track and field women's swimming and diving men's swimming and diving women's tennis men's tennis tennis and women's golf um all won conference championships that's that's phenomenal i mean we spend a lot of our time talking about football basketball baseball they're all great we would love to win any and all of those but the reason we do the downing the 40 and the reason you have these nights where you bring together your incredible athletes from you know, all walks. You have, you know, these multiple All-Americans all across in these different programs. Um, it's because there's talent. It runs deep. Um, it, it also apparently, according to the hashtag, hashtag Longhorns 19, is a time to share embarrassing photos of them like four uh, to six years ago that they forgot to remove from their, their Facebook or Instagram. So check out that hashtag because uh, there's a couple people just, just throwing hot fire out there of some, you know, the most unflattering photos available for some of these people who 
very shortly um, will make lots of money going professional in these particular sports because we're honoring some some true legends across all. But uh, but yeah, it's also a good time to skewer and remember these are uh, these are somewhere between eighteen and twenty two ish year old kids, and they like to have a good time, and they are probably funnier than all of us. So um, check that hashtag out because um, there's some pretty pretty hilarious photos in here of some guys who uh, I'm looking at one now of Townley Haas who's just uh, nominated for the most prestigious you know collegiate uh, award for male athlete across any sport three-time uh, NCAA champion winner one-time uh, runner-up but has like an 18-time All-American across the different events uh, but he's just the most unflattering photo of him uh, standing next to the pool I mean even even Adonis's can be can be captured uh, captured in, in in the in the the wrong lighting. So um, pretty fun thing. I love to see uh, football, basketball, track. You know all of women's sports and golf and tennis and um, you know just just uh, volleyball. Of course, the teams we haven't talked about in a while get together and uh, and and get to be treated like stars because these are student athletes who put a ton of work in outside of the classroom on top of what they do to be a student, but to uh, to get to this point and to be, you know, basically a full-time job of being an athlete on top of being a full-time student. Um, and this is a night to celebrate. And I, I, I think it's uh, fantastic. And, and you should all scroll that hashtag for some of these gems. Maybe we'll retweet a couple, but uh, it, it looks like an awesome night here in Austin. Yeah. And I just love to see students getting to have fun and celebrate their successes. I think that more than anything, their students, they're students like there's no other way to say that it's not just the athlete part that we all focus on but the fact that they're students um and i'm i'm gonna bang the drum on something uh just a little different so texas football actually did something a little different uh this last week and the social media team for texas football has been killing it as of late like the the new direction they're going um but for the off season for specifically for texas football they're doing some kind of behind-the-scenes things with some players. They did a series uh, about Texas players explaining the significance of their tattoos, uh, which was super cool, mm. um, getting to see, you know, again, a guy like Jordan Whittington, who, side note, he's 18, so he's spent a lot of time in the chair in the last six months um, getting tatted <laughs> up. But just seeing these guys getting to tell their stories, and they also did a really cool behind-the-scenes feature on a guy that we don't talk about much, but uh, DeAndre Christmas, who was a huge recruiting coup a few years ago, um, he is actually an incredible uh, music producer. And so they did a, a full like two and a half minute piece of him making some beats in, in the studio. And so getting to see these guys behind the scenes is just so cool because we focus most of our attention on what they do on the field. And for worse in a lot of situations, we commodify 19, 20 year old people and we don't really get to see the, the human side of them. We just see them for the Jersey numbers and the numbers they put up on the scoreboard. So it's always cool to get to see who they are underneath the helmet and underneath the Jersey, um, specifically underneath the Jersey with the tattoos, but also guys like DeAndre Christmas uh, in the studio making beats, which again is, is really cool. So I'm making the drum on just getting to see another side of the student athletes. Yeah, that's those have been fantastic. Um, it was a little jarring before I knew it when the first one popped up, and I and I just was scrolling through my my feed and saw um, all of Jordan Whittington's like thirteen abs. But um, you know, it, it's uh, it, it was a really cool thing, and I think like you said, 
um, kind of telling the human story of these people. I remember years ago, um, we kind of laughed at Kellen Winslow, you know, saying, I'm, I'm a warrior, I'm a warrior, I'm a gladiator. You know, we, we think of these guys as, as um, you know, soldiers in war and going and playing these sports and that's their life. But there's so much more to these student athletes. And I, I, I think it's a, a really cool thing that, that Texas sports um, is doing, showing that side uh, of these guys. I, again, continue to tip my hat to what they what they've accomplished this year. Yeah, it's really been incredible. So that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter, at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH. Go to Troll the show on Twitter, at Longhorn Pod. You can always shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Sam Friesman. Sam Friesman.